This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgi, and I'm excited to be back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. And today, that's going to be the Hunter Dickinson saga, which finally, mercifully, came to an end this afternoon as the former All-American big man, the Michigan transfer, the most highly rated and most sought-after transfer in this transfer cycle, chose the Kansas Jayhawks. So this will be a quick episode where I touch on the Dickinson stuff, talk a little bit about what it means and some of my big-picture takeaways. And I want to get into the Terps a little bit, too, and what it means for them going forward. It was a big miss. Uh, they took a big shot at a highly sought-after guy and didn't land him. So I want to get into that a little bit and what it means for Kevin Willard and his program going forward there. And just for a little bit of housekeeping, I'll get back to the college football 2022 conference recaps on our next episode. Next time, I'll do both the Pac-12 and the SEC on the same episode. I don't foresee a ton of new college hoops news coming down the pipe in the next week or so now that this Dickinson decision is out of the way. So we'll get back to those college ball recaps next time before I start digging in to Hunter Dickinson's decision. Just a reminder, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. One of the best ways to help out the show is to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, leave a review, and share this podcast with a friend who also loves college sports. You can also find me on Twitter, at GorgOnSports. Okay, let's get into this whole Hunter Dickinson thing. And what a saga it was it felt like this thing was never going to end, especially for the fan bases that wanted Hunter Dickinson to come to their school, wanted him to be a part of next year's team. Because let's face it, he is, in my opinion, the best transfer we've ever seen in this modern transfer portal era. I mean, the guy was an All-American, and I talked uh, an episode or, or two ago just about how impactful he would be to any team that landed him, and you can see it today with Kansas adding Hunter Dickinson. They are now number one in Bart Torvik's 2024 projection. They are now the number one team in the country. And I believe they were something like number nine before he was added. I know I talked about it a couple episodes ago, but if you, uh, you, you know, you can use their roster cast, you can use a Bart Torvik's roster cast tool here to actually subtract a player or, or add a player. And without Hunter Dickinson, they go from the number one team in the country to the number nine team in the country. So yeah, they were number nine before adding Dickinson. So that's the kind of impact he can make just based on the fact that he's a all-American caliber big man. Those kind of those kind of players aren't everyday players. And uh, he's super talented. He's a force inside. He has a little bit of range. And I think he'll really thrive at Kansas. But my biggest takeaway from today is when Hunter Dickinson chose Kansas over a list that included Kentucky, Villanova, and Maryland, the kind of overwhelming response to that was, ah, that makes sense. Kansas makes the most sense. And I agree. I think, again, I said that a couple weeks ago. If I was him, I would have gone to Kansas myself for a variety of reasons. One, you get the, that's your best chance to compete for a national championship. You get to play under Bill Self. 
you get to get away from the grind of the Big Ten and going up against guys like Zach Eady on a night-in-and-night-out basis. So I just thought it was a really good landing spot for him. And that was the consensus from everybody. And what I really think that speaks volumes about is how much Kansas has differentiated itself from some of the other top programs, but particularly Kentucky. I did not hear one person today say, I don't know, I can't believe he didn't go to Kentucky. Kentucky would have been the best spot for him. And I think that really signifies something that's happened over the last couple of years, where there was a time where I think Calipari's Kentucky program was viewed as the top, top of the sport, maybe the bluest of blue blood programs out there, uh, probably right there with Duke while Mike Krzyzewski was still there in North Carolina uh, when Roy Williams was still there. But things have changed, and it's been a rough couple-year stretch for Kentucky. And it starts with missing the NCAA tournament in 2021. Then they get upset by St. Peter's last season. And this year, they earn a six seed and lose in the second round. And it wasn't a very memorable tournament run by, by any means. I mean, they didn't advance to the second weekend. And on the other side of things, you have Kansas that has just rolled along. And I've talked a ton about how good Kansas has been over the last 20 years, how good they've been in this Bill Self era. Of course, they won a national title in 2022, but they are year in and year out consistently a top five team, a number one seed. They win the Big 12 and they compete for national championships. And I think there is a certain juice, a certain perception right now associated with the Kansas program that is just missing from Kentucky. And I think that has to be really concerning if you're a Kentucky fan. If you're somebody that can, cares about Kentucky basketball, you got to be thinking to yourself today, okay, everybody's saying it's obvious that Kansas was the right landing spot for Hunter Dickinson, for a a former All-American, for a guy who's hoping to use a year or two to develop himself into an NBA prospect and to go win a national championship, that should be Kentucky. There's no reason that it should obviously be Kansas and not Kentucky, but it is. And I think that's something that really signifies the shift that that has gone on over the past, let's call it, three years or so uh, at Kentucky in Lexington. And, you know, you contrast that with, yes, Kansas has had a few early exits over that same time frame, but they also won the, the national championship in 2022. And there's just a feeling that I get right now that Kansas has the juice and Kentucky does not. And that would concern me greatly if I was a Kentucky Wildcats fan. Now, we will see what happens next year with Kentucky. They have the number one recruiting class. It's kind of a vintage cow recruiting class where they have uh, three of the top six players in the country, four of the top 15, and that's great, but we've kind of seen it before, and I'm not sure that in this era of college basketball, with the transfer portal, with the extra COVID year, that you really have a huge advantage by bringing in these one-and-done classes of all these highly rated guys who are talented but haven't played together 
when you have teams that are older, more experienced, have been around college basketball and have played together. So, you know, it remains to be seen how they will do. Uh, but I, I think there is just something lacking, something missing with this Kentucky program right now. And that really showed itself today with the overwhelming response. Yes, it made total sense. Hunter Dickinson would go to Kansas. That's the best spot for him. And I didn't hear anybody say Kentucky was the best spot for him. Now, Kentucky has a chance to bring back Oscar Shibway. Uh, it, that may happen. His name is in the draft right now. John Calipari was on the Dan Patrick show today talking a little bit about Oscar Shibway and how he's trying to help get him to the NBA, but he would love to have him back for love to coach him for another year. And I think that's, that's a no brainer now that they missed out on Hunter Dickinson to try to put the full court press on to find a way to bring him back because you do need some experience with this group of young but talented players coming in and so we'll see we'll see what happens with Kentucky in the season ahead but it just feels like it's kind of the same old same old with Kentucky and maybe one of these guys coming in will be that kind of game changer that says get on my back and I can take you to a final four Uh, but it, it remains to be seen and I think the decision of Hunter Dickinson today represents a sort of a sort of shift that has happened between these two programs where at one point Kentucky was the it program. And now I think Kansas uh, is much more in that role than Kentucky is. Now I want to get to the Maryland side of things here too, because as you all know, I'm a Maryland fan. There's a lot of Maryland fans out there in the audience. And I want to talk a little bit about what this means for the Terps. So this was a, an opportunity that Kevin Willard and the Maryland program had to take a shot at. It's not every day that a seven-foot All-American who has experience in the conference, who played his high school ball right down the road in your backyard, goes on the open market, puts his name in the transfer portal, and you have a chance to land him. And... That's what happened here. Maryland had to take a shot. It seems by all accounts like they did take a shot. They were very much in consideration for Hunter Dickinson's services. And uh, for whatever reason, they just came up short. He decided to go to Kansas. I don't think we just talked about it, that anybody would blame him for going to Kansas. Uh, much the opposite. It's been obviously he should go to Kansas. So, you know, I, I don't think I wasn't terribly surprised by the decision I thought that all along, I thought that was the best place for him. Uh, but it was something, you know, Maryland took a shot at and something they they had to do. Now, I talked last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, the last time I talked about Hunter Dickinson, I talked about how this Maryland team would look if Hunter Dickinson joined the fold. And I, I talked a little bit about what I liked. It would be a big lineup. It would be a zig when everybody else is zagging in terms of going big when everybody else is going small. I said I thought it would really play well in the Big Ten and make them a, a competitor for a Big Ten title. But I wasn't so sure how it would work You know, once they got outside of the conference, once they got into the NCAA tournament in terms of, trying to get to a final four and, you know, talked about being able to play left-handed and, you know, uh, being multiple, something I talked about a lot this March, 
is is being multiple in order to get to a Final Four. And you know, I felt like Maryland might not have that if they had this lineup where they they had three of their four best players, where they if three of their four best players were Hunter Dickinson, Julian Reese, and Dante Scott, and Julian Reese and Dante Scott were were forced to move um, from the five to the four and the four to the three to accommodate Dickinson. I, I was a little concerned about how that might work. And now it's really easy to say now that Dickinson didn't come, maybe it's a blessing in disguise for Maryland that he didn't come because maybe it wouldn't have worked. Maybe they would have been too slow on defense. Maybe the lane would have been too clogged trying to play two big guys at once who really thrive in the lane. Um, so I think that's a really easy thing to say and, and a pretty easy justification if you're a Maryland fan. And we'll never know if it would have worked or wouldn't have worked. Uh, but but I think those were real concerns if Hunter Dickinson did come. Now, you like I said before, you have to take that shot. It would have been worth it to add talent and just see how it works out. Um, and maybe it would have worked out great, but there is that possibility that it didn't work. So for that reason, as a Maryland fan, I, I wanted to land Dickinson. I was excited about the prospect. Anytime you can add a talent like that, you you should take that shot. You should go after that opportunity. But I'm not devastated that they didn't land him because I think Julian Reese at the five, I think the five is his best spot. I think he's a young big man who has developed really well over his first two years in College Park. And I truly think he has a chance to develop in the way that Trace Jackson Davis did at Indiana, where he became an All-American. And I think Julian Reese is on that trajectory. He has the opportunity to become an All-American. And I think Maryland has a really experienced point guard in Jameer Young, a transfer from Charlotte who had a fantastic year, decided to come back for a, a COVID year. So he's coming back for a second year that year at Maryland, his second year playing with, with Julian Reese, his second year playing with Dante Scott another guy coming back for a COVID year. And I think there was a real chemistry there with that core um, that adding a new player to the mix like Hunter Dickinson might have thrown that off as talented as he is. So I'm still very excited about this upcoming season for Maryland to see the development of Julian Reese, to see what Jameer Young looks like in his second year in the Big Ten, uh, having some more experience with the physicality of the league, with the night-in, night-out battles of the league. But my big question mark for Maryland at this point, they they spent a lot of time this offseason chasing Hunter Dickinson, but my question is, what does Maryland do about three-point shooting? Because Maryland was not a very good three-point shooting team last year. In fact, that was, that was one of their biggest weaknesses. And it, it was, they were a very streaky three-point shooting team. They would have games where they shot really well. They would have games where it seemed like they couldn't buy a bucket at all. But overall, it averaged out to be to not a very good three-point shooting team, under 33% on the year. Uh, I don't think there was anybody. Ian Martinez, Ian Martinez shot 40% from three on only 62 attempts. And Jahari Long shot 40% from three on 25 attempts. Nobody who took over 100 threes 
hit that magic 40% marker. In fact, nobody who shot over 100 threes even hit that 35% marker. And my question is, what does Maryland do about three-point shooting? Because in this day and age of college basketball, it's a pretty important part of the game. You got to be able to shoot the ball. So Maryland did go out and they added a guard in, in Chance Stevens, who is a pretty good shooter. Uh, he played he played his college basketball last year at Loyola Marymount. I believe he was right around that 40% marker uh, in, in not a ton of minutes and not a ton of attempts last year. Uh, he was 37% on 119 threes so you know under 40 but above 35 there we'll see if he can come in as a sophomore at maryland and make an impact going from the wcc to the big 10 can he be the guy to really step up and become a a shooter for the terps Uh, they're gonna need somebody to step up so that's my biggest question for maryland uh i think that even if they had added dickinson that would be something that could have potentially held them back in addition to the concerns I had about you know, how they would play defensively, uh, whether Dante Scott could defend the three. I think he's much better suited to, to play the four and defend the four, four spot. And if there would be too much uh, clogging with Julian Reese and Hunter Dickinson both on the court at the same time with uh, Reese you know, having shown some flashes and some ability to stretch the floor, but not nearly as much as you would like for a foreman, like let's say Dante Scott did last year. So I actually think at the end of the day, I'm okay with this. If you're a Maryland fan, I think you should feel okay about this too, because I think Julian Reese and Dante Scott, who are definitely now two of your three best players, are going to be able to play their the best spots for them where they are most effective. If Hunter Dickinson had come, uh, they would not have been able to do so. You, you might have been a, done a little bit of forcing square pegs into round holes, and you know it, it would have remained. It, we we would have seen how it worked out, but um, there we a lot of people were kind of a lot of Terps fans were kind of penciling Maryland into a Final Four if Hunter Dickinson were to come. I never felt that way. I, I felt like there were still a lot of question marks around this team if he did come. Um, so we'll, we'll never get to answer that, that question. We'll never find out for sure because Hunter Dickinson is not coming and uh, the, the Terps, he will not be a Terp. So we will never know how they would have done. But I think with the roster they have, they are, are very much an NCAA tournament team. I think they're about the same as they were this year. I haven't seen and the, the biggest question outside of the shooting will be, can some of these talented freshmen that they've added with the the top guy being Deshaun Harris Smith out of Paul the Sixth, he's a wing or he's a he's not a wing. He's more of a, like a combo guard, six four combo guard who moved up to number twenty five in twenty four seven Sports's updated rankings today. It that is my biggest question: is how do these guys impact Maryland's roster? Do does Deshaun Harris Smith? add some athleticism on the wing. Maybe he's the guy who can knock down some outside shots for the Terps. Jamie Kaiser, another guy, he's a wing, 6'6 wing, um, who should get some minutes for Maryland this year. Can he be a contributor right away? If those two guys are contributors, then I think Maryland has the potential to be better than they were this season. But otherwise, I think the Terps are very similar. They'll could, you know, 
be maybe around a a six, seven, eight seed in the tournament. But I think the class that they're bringing in right now is a is a core foundational class for the Kevin Willard era. And then if you look to 2024, the class of 2024, they are right there for Derek Queen, uh, a really highly rated big man right now. The He's in the top 15 in uh, 24-7 sports composite rankings, number 13 there, number eight in the 24-7 sports rankings. The Terps are right there for him, and that is a guy they have to land to kind of keep this momentum going. So it's kind of where things stand for the Terps. I wanted to get Hunter Dickinson. I'm disappointed they didn't get him, but I can see a lot of reasons why it also may not have worked. This wasn't a guaranteed success. This wasn't a guaranteed Final Four team if they had landed him. I'm glad they took a shot at it at him. I'm glad they were in contention, um, but it didn't work out, and I, I think that's okay as well. Now, the Terps need to go land Derek Queen in the next class. They need to keep stacking talent on top of talent. And the Terps have had a, a lot of he- a lot of coaching staff turnover this year. So, we'll see how that goes, but uh that's a critical one for Maryland is landing Derek Queen in the class of 2024. That's what I got today. Uh, that's how I'm feeling about Hunter Dickinson and uh his saga. We really didn't even get to the whole drawn out nature of the process and all I'll really say on that is look he had a lot of leverage um he seemed legitimately torn on where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do next it's over now and Hunter Dickinson is a Kansas Jayhawk and Kansas will likely start the season as one of the top two or three teams in the country because they were able to add a former All-American big man. And that's the beauty of the transfer portal for a school like Kansas right now. That's our show for today. That's all I got on the Hunter Dickinson recruitment. I'll be back next time to get back into some football. We'll continue our 2022 season in review series, and I'll get into both the Pac-12 and the SEC to finish things off. Until next time, keep the girl hot and the cooler cold.